The scripture for today's sermon is Psalm 84. The word of God speaks to us. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of God to us. Thank you, Leah. Um, If I haven't met you, my name is Dylan. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. And like John said, next week we're going to jump into our series in Genesis. We're really excited about it. And so uh, this week we're going to look at Psalm 84. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we come to you right now because we know that you have the words of life. And as we look um, at your word today, we just ask that you would give us life. God, I ask that you would direct our paths. I ask that you would lead our paths. I ask that we wouldn't um, just hear words right now, but that we would get to encounter you. We know that it's in your presence is the fullness of joy. So we just ask uh, that you would be present with us and that you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. My family and I, uh, we just got done with a three-week long road trip. It was awesome. We took my parents' RV and we went to the remote parts of Colorado and climbed mountains and showered in waterfalls and slept under the stars. It was awesome. Now, we, we knew that we were going to love this trip. And when I say we, I really mean me. Well, me and my YouTube algorithm. Um, your YouTube algorithm probably looks different than mine, but mine knows that I secretly want to live in a van down by the river, all right? Some of you are familiar with uh, the trend called van life, all right? Van life is a, is a trend that took millennials by storm for about six or seven years. Beautiful couples in beautiful places uploading their journeys to the internet. And for me, it's like the good life. You're talking about adventure, minimal responsibilities, pure bliss. This is the good life. Now, in case you missed the obituary, van life is dead. Van life didn't even last as long as the average lifespan of a Furby. (laughs) Some of y'all don't know what a Furby is. It's okay. A little young. Um, Van life is dead. Well, why? It turns out that no matter how beautiful the destination is or how many millennials try to sell you a dream, a life with no destination just leaves you lost. You see, my picture of the good life, my picture of bliss, my picture of the place where I could finally find rest for my weary soul, it was a lie. And to be honest, I'm grateful that I didn't have to live it to find that out, but YouTube told me so. Each one of us has a picture of the good life, a place where you one day will find rest for your soul. 
Yours probably doesn't look like mine. Mine's a little bit rugged. But what does yours look like? Take a second. What is your vision of the good life? Your vision of the good life, it may include fuzzy pillows and high thread count sheets. It may include sprawling beaches or manicured golf courses or maybe just a bigger house so you don't have to hear your kids cry all night long. But each one of us has a vision of the good life, somewhere we can rest our souls. And anywhere you look, there is someone trying to sell us something that will get us on their vision of the good life. But the reality is, is that we find that most of those paths wear out faster than the update on our iPhone. They don't work. Yet at the same time, we find ourselves buying into the next one over and over and over again. And so that brings us to the question, amidst this chaos, how do we know which path is true? How do we know where to trust our lives? How do we know where to go? And so as we look at Psalm 84, it's a question that honestly I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed because I don't want to waste a second of my life, is can we truly trust God? Can we truly trust God for the fulfilled life that he promises us? We're going to find the answers in Psalm 84. Now, I want to give you some notes. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write these down. Here are the main points in case you miss them. Psalm 84 is going to show us that we can trust God completely. We can trust God with our life because, first off, our true home is with God. Our true home is with God. Second, God is our strength in the valley. And last, what we find is that Jesus is just better. So I want to jump in to this psalm, but before we look at the first stanza, I want to give you some context. Psalm 84 is one of the more well-known psalms in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon called it the pearl of the psalms. It's on many a coffee cup. It's beautiful, it is poetic, it's been turned into songs all throughout history. Now, it's filled with imagery that we don't really understand, if we're honest, primarily imagery of pilgrimage. We don't have a society that values pilgrimage unless it's to Norman or Stillwater on Saturday nights. Can I get an amen? Now, this man, the son of Korah, he is on a pilgrimage to the temple, and it's a huge feature for the people of God. They were commanded three times a year for these epic feasts to go to the temple and make a pilgrimage. And these feasts were these epic parties where they celebrated and remembered the goodness of God. We should do that more often, by the way. Now, they always ended at the temple Mount, all right? The temple, not just a building, but from the beginning of time, God's desire was to dwell with man. And so the temple was actually God's dwelling place. It's where God had come to dwell with man. And so um, a little bit about the sons of Korah. If you were here a few weeks ago, Chad actually preached on a psalm that was also by the sons of Korah. And he brought up, um, he brought up the, the story in the book of Numbers chapter 16 where Korah he actually leads a rebellion against God and his priests. And the result of that is Korah and all of his followers die. And so now we have a son of the rebellion leader, Korah, who has written for us the pearl of the Psalms. What a reversal. And so we're going to join the son of Korah as he takes us on this pilgrimage to God's dwelling. And he's going to open up his heart. Why don't you come with me? Let's jump into the text. Our first point is along the pilgrimage of life, our true home is with God. Look at verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Right off the bat, when you crack open the heart of this poet, what flows out is this profound, deep longing for God. This longing to live with God. Verse 3 in the NIV actually says that his heart and his flesh cry out for the living God. I just want to stop right here and I want to say that deep longing to live with God forever is actually in every human heart. It's programmed into every human soul. It's the deepest and greatest longing that we have. And I know that. The problem is when I read this, if I'm honest with you, I feel like I don't fit. It feels very foreign to me. And I don't, I don't think it's because I don't have that longing. I think it's true. But this language is so foreign to me. This language is powerful. It's the language of longing. I was talking with my wife, and she brought up the fact that in our society, we don't have a grid for longing, right? In a society where a credit card and Amazon can get you whatever you want, longing actually comes at a really expensive price. Longing takes time. Longing takes perspective. Longing takes thought. And when I thought about the fact that I was going to preach a sermon on this passage, I knew that I only had 30 minutes, and so I didn't want to take the time to consider the longing in this passage. But the reality is it's right out of this longing that drives the entire psalm. In fact, it's the longing inside this poet's heart that drives his whole life. So as we're on this pilgrimage, we've got to slow down and we've got to think about this longing. So this week, it was Wednesday, I just went on an hour-long, sweaty, hot walk, and I thought about longing. And I asked God to help me see, where in my heart do I experience longing? Like, where do I feel longing that feels anything like this? In fact, I asked God, hey, where in my life have I felt the most intense longing? And I I found some things, and I'm going to share them with you because I think we all need to do this for ourselves. But I'll let you know, I found some things that are good, and I found some things that really scared me, and I'm going to show you both. First, I found a deep longing in my heart for God to make things right. Some of you know my personal story, but when I was really young, my mom got sick, and she was in in a coma for way too long. And in that time, I found a longing that God placed deep down in my heart that I still hold on to. You know, I had a longing for my mom to wake up. But I also had a longing for the type of world where little boys wouldn't have sleepovers in hospital rooms. At eight, whatever my conception of God was, I had a longing for a world that God would make right. And as I was on my walk, I was thinking about how that longing that is over two decades old was a seed planted down so deep that in so many ways it shaped the entirety course of my life, and it's led me here to preaching about the goodness of God in our church. That's a, it's a longing that I'm so grateful for. Now, I've got to be honest, there were these longings that scared me, these longings that were actually at war with that longing for God. First, um, I realized that I have this deep longing for money. 
And I don't mean money just for money's sake because money is actually a gift from God. Money can be a good thing. But for me, I had a longing to have enough money where I didn't have to think about anything. I could actually just rely on that money. It would keep me safe and I would never have to think about dependence on my good father ever again. I also recognize that I have this deep longing at the end of a day to numb out so I could just escape all of the responsibility and the pressure I feel in my life. Some of you know what that's like. I also found a longing for lust that's not mine to hold. You see, there are these longings in our heart, and they're nothing to ignore because they direct our lives. In verse 5, this longing takes on the image of a highway. You see, these longings are like highways, and they have the power to take us places. Are there any ACDC fans out here? Raise your hand. It's like three of you <laughs> represent. Um, I knew that was not going not to hit the service. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm really not an ACDC fan. I know very little about it, but I was researching illustrations, and I like this one, so go along with me, all right? Many of you are going to recognize a hit song that they had that turned into an album, and it turned into a tour. It's called The Highway to Hell. I know it's in your head right now. Some of you guys are singing it. Some of you may know this, but, but right at the end of the Highway to Hell tour, less than one month later, the lead singer of ACDC, his name was Bon Scott, and he tragically died of acute alcohol poisoning. Now, I don't just share that because it's a sad story, but I share that because there's something really curious at the end of it. Um, the coroner in the UK had to declare a cause of death for Bon Scott, and, and it's really interesting, and I want to share it with you. So Bon Scott, at the end of his highway to hell, he tragically dies, and the coroner says this is why. Death by misadventure. That is the technical classification for his death. Death by misadventure is the recorded manner of death for an accidental death caused by a risk taken voluntarily. The coroner is saying that Bond Scott took a risk that he knew may kill him, and it did. It's like he knew the highway that he was on, and he actually knew where it was leading him, and it took, it, it took him exactly where he knew it would. This is a picture of where some of our longings will take us. The highways in our hearts have the power to take us places. And we actually know that there are some that may lead to life, and we know that there are a bunch that will lead to death, but we let them live in our hearts anyway. And I just think, I just think we have to have the courage to interrogate those longings before they take us down a dark and lonely path. So I want to give you a second. I shared some of mine with you. What about you? Just take a second. You can close your eyes. You can write it in your journal and think about it later tonight. What do you long for? Think about it. What do you long for? And where is that highway in your heart taking you? Man, some of us in the room, you wake up scheming on how to retire early. Or some of us are already in retirement and you wake up thinking about how to maximize your relaxation as if God doesn't have a calling for you in the season of your life. Some of us feel a longing every 3 p.m. to numb out. Some of us are feeling the pull of lust or pornography or loneliness and it's taking your mind places that you hope that your body never goes. And then some of us, we're just so distracted that we have no idea. Where is the highway in your heart taking you? Listen, each one of these longings 
And some of them are good, right? Some of them are even good longings. But these longings will take us places not towards God, but away from God. And ultimately, they'll just leave us all alone. And there's a piece of it. But the the truer fulfillment of that longing and that desire will only be met in God. Some of us, uh, my prayer is that for some of us, today would be the day that we hit a highway interchange. And as I draw our attention back to the psalm, I want us to, to read what the psalmist has to say because there are so many paths that we could take, but there's only one that we can trust. Look at verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion, the one who is blessed, has their heart set on the highway to Zion. I think we feel this pull in our society to like self-author our life as if we're supposed to look inside ourselves and trust our deepest emotions and they'll lead us somewhere good, somewhere unique, somewhere where we can kind of self-actualize. But listen, the highway to Zion, that's not that. There's no self-authoring. The highway to Zion is actually a highway that's been tread it's, it's well-worn by many people who have gone before us. The one who is blessed has their, their heart set on the highway to Zion. She has her eyes fixed on God, her ears tuned to God. He has a vision for his life, and it's about life on a pilgrimage with God. It's actually a Godward vision for their life. That's a question for you. In the vision of your life, is it a Godward vision of your life? Now, I'm not just talking about heaven, all right? Christians don't make a pilgrimage to a temple anymore because God has promised that he would actually dwell inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And so this life, this pilgrimage of life is not about getting to a destination, but it's actually a recognition that God is with you and you can live your life with God in his light in his presence, and with his spirit. And listen, that path leads us to our true home, which is with God. So the invitation as we consider this is to to take stock of your rogue longings, even the good ones. And anyone that does not set your feet on the highway to Zion, you put them to bed. Now, it's a beautiful picture of life on the road to Zion. And it's, it, it's really enticing at the beginning, but the reality is everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? So what about along the journey when you're no longer on the mountaintop, but you're on the valley? Well, we want to look at that. In the valley, this is point two, God is our strength. Look at verse five with me. In the valley, God is our strength. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And as they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. So we pick back up on the poet's journey, on his pilgrimage, but now we're in the valley of Baca. That's how you pronounce it. Um, I'm not going to try and do that all sermon. I'm going to call it Baca, if that's okay with you guys. Now, people don't really know where the Valley of Baca is at, but the word Baca is translated weeping. It's the Valley of Weeping. It's a picture, and it's a powerful one, one that each of us knows well. Along the journey of life, even on the road to Zion, do you know where you're going to wind up? You're going to wind up at some point in the Valley of Weeping. The breakup, 
the diagnosis, the betrayal, the career change, the layoff, the death of a loved one. One thing that's guaranteed along the road to Zion is the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Suffering. And suffering shapes people in so many different ways. The Valley of Baca can break you. For some people, the trauma from the Valley of Baca becomes a driving force in their life. And I don't mean to minimize trauma, it's real. But it's like they live the rest of their life in the rearview mirror as if that trauma defines them and God's not a healer. As if God has no plan for healing and restoration and hope and grace in their life. Their whole life is spent looking backwards at the valley. For other people, when suffering comes, they decide to be so strong in themselves. Hey, and that sounds like a really sexy idea for a little while. It's really impressive until they realize that what they did in that season is they actually shut themselves off from their own heart. They shut themselves off from everyone else around them, and they shut themselves off from God. And that faux strength over time becomes their weakness as that strength hardens and cracks and leaves them alone in pieces on the floor. It doesn't work. Other people, through this season of suffering, they just become a shell of themselves and they never really get back up. The valley of weeping can wreck you. And hey, if you're on the road to Zion, it's in the valley of Baca where you start looking for an off-ramp. If you, were, if you, if you had your, your heart set, your eyes set on the road to Zion, but you let those little rogue longings live right alongside of it, it's in the valley of suffering when they start looking really good. They start looking delicious. Like, like that extra drink of alcohol that you know that you don't need starts to look really satisfying in the valley of Baca. The anger that you thought you put to bed that you thought you would never see again, that's when it shows up. The way you speak about your coworkers, the way that you, you thought you would never do that, but you start to lower your standards to get what you want. All of that shows up in the valley, the affair, the website. The rogue paths tempt us in the valley of suffering. And Jesus describes this, right? Jesus describes that there is a wide path that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow path that leads to life. But here's the question, the question of the psalm. The question is, where is your strength? Where is your strength in the valley? In John chapter 7, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In John 4, he describes it as a well bubbling up to everlasting life. You see, it's in the valley that we find out what our strength is in, and if it's in ourselves, we won't make it. Our strength is in God. I spent some time in refugee camps in the desert in Africa. And, and any refugee in the desert in Africa has a story that's devastating. And, and, and as I listen to them tell me the stories of their own personal genocide as to why they're here and the rest of their family isn't, it's really painful. And as I try to offer some measure of condolence to them in that moment, the way they respond is profound. Through the reality of the tears of the valley that they've walked through, do you know what they say? They say, it's okay, God is still good. God is still in control, and he has a plan. I don't know if you've ever watched through a faithful, if you've ever watched a faithful, mature Christian walk through the valley of suffering. 
And I don't mean like act like it doesn't exist and act like it's not real. I mean like take one step after another through the valley of Baca, but it is powerful. It is amazing. I think about uh, watching my wife lose her dad at age 22. I thought it would crush her. I was terrified. But what happened in that season is the people of God rallied around her, and and the season that I thought was going to rip her life from her was actually the season that I got to see God strengthen her. You see, it's in the valley of suffering when God strengthens us. And out of that, I watched God create these deep wells, carve these deep wells from suffering out of my own wife and fill them with living water that she could draw from for the rest of her life. It's in the valley of suffering that God strengthens us. Now, here's what I want to say. Uh, In verse 7, it describes going from strength to strength, and that's what we're talking about. But if you think about the image of a pilgrimage, think about you're walking to Jerusalem, you would have a short period of time when you're walking by yourself. But every time there's an intersection, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to find out that there are more people on the journey with you. Your party is actually going to get stronger as you journey on the road to Zion. Hey, it's a picture that the Christian life has never been meant to be lived alone. You live your life in community. And in fact, it's in the valley of Baca that you're going to find that community is what you need. And there are going to be other people who have gone before you that have already been through that same type of suffering, and they're going to actually dip into their own well and give you that water, and it's going to be just what you need. Hey, if you're not in a community group, I want to help you get connected to one today. You're going to need it. And the other thing is, Christian, man, if you see anyone, anyone in the valley of suffering, you run to them. You run to them because you have exactly what they need. It's in the valley of weeping that we find out who our strength is in. And listen, your strength is in God. Now, back to the journey. Along the, along the pilgrimage of life, After the Valley of Baca, there are going to be times when our faith just totally falters. There are going to be times in your life where you've taken some hits, and the reality of life really sets in, and it's in those moments that we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is just better. And that's the last point. It's really profound. That's a joke. Jesus is better. Look at verse number nine. The psalmist says, behold, behold, our shield, O God, and look on the face of your anointed. If you look really closely, there's an exclamation point at the end of that. It's like the psalmist is reaching inside his own chest and grabbing his heart and saying, heart, behold, behold, behold your God and look on the face of your anointed. There are going to be seasons in your life where you start to question everything, everything. And do you know what? You're going to draw your eyes back to the Lord's anointed, back to Jesus. You're going to place your eyes back on Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the one most worthy of life who gave his very life for ours. Picture this, the one who saw us on our own highway to hell, but came to rescue us. He came to redeem us and to reconcile us back to God. Listen, hey, the only reason that we even keep our eyes on the hill of God is because Christ kept his eyes on the hill of Golgotha. That's the mountain that he climbed to be a sacrifice on our behalf so that way our sins could be forgiven and we can be reconciled back to God. And if you had any doubts, he rose from the dead and ascended and people still worship him all over the world today. 
He is our hope. As you go throughout life, you're going to be failed by a hundred paths and a hundred people, and you're going to be tempted to think there's only one person that you can trust, but that person is not you. That person is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who we can trust. Now, when I say that, I actually feel a bit of resistance in my own soul. Because I know that there's actually these, these waves of these cares of life that feel like they're surrounding us, right? And I don't know what you're going through. Like, like, I don't know the debt collectors that are calling you. I don't know about your custody battle. I don't know about your marriage or your season of singleness. But I know that we're all prone to believe that God is holding out on us. But hey, I think about how my wife gave birth to both of my children, and she keeps them alive like every single day. But you know what's crazy? When they get hurt, they don't even trust her to bandage their boo-boos. I think sometimes we look at God that way. It's like God has done everything for us, everything for us. Our whole life is transformed by him, but we act as if he doesn't even know our day-to-day cares, our day-to-day struggles, and we want to revert back and trust anything other than him. Like you have a career choice or a business choice, and you're going to trust the wisdom of the world. You got to make decisions about where you're going to live or where your kids are going to go to school. And you got all this fear, but you're going to trust your emotions that have already led you astray so many times. Listen, there is only one person who you can trust, and it's God. So I don't know what those cares are in your life right now. But what I want to invite you to do is just to once again come and just offer your whole life to the one person that you can trust who is God. And we join with the psalmist as he preaches to himself. Out of verse 10, God, I believe this. Regardless of the cares in my life, regardless of my fear, regardless of my situation, situation, verse 10, a day in your courts, God, is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. No matter how I feel, I know that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'm going to keep my feet planted on the road to Zion. I'm not going to leave. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. We look for favor and honor in all the wrong places. Places from people who have no authority to give it to us. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And listen to this. No good thing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There are a lot of things in this life that aren't good that we want. There are some things in this life that are good that we want, and it may be good for you, but maybe it's not good for me. Or maybe it's good for you right now, but it's not good for me right now. The truth is, is that we can trust God even even when we think he's holding out on us. He doesn't withhold withhold any good thing from him who walks uprightly. We can trust him. Church, I don't know what your vision of the good life is. And I don't know where the longings of your heart would take you. But I do know that there is only one thing that we can trust. There is only one path that we can follow that is tried and tested and true. There is only one path for us to walk on, and it's God's. There are 1,000 ways for you to waste your life. And there's only one way to live it. And that is trust in Jesus. And I know I know that as we look back on our life, when you get 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, 30 years, 40 years, I know when you look back on your life, we're going to join with the psalmist as he says in verse 12, and we're going to say, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. 
Blessed is the one who didn't trust in career, didn't trust in approval, didn't trust in family, didn't trust in comfort. Blessed is the one who didn't trust in anything else that this world tried to sell me. But blessed is the one who trusts in you. Can I get an amen? Amen. So as we close today, your deepest and truest longing is to be at home with God. Would you walk that path? Listen, jump back to verse 3. Listen, even little birds in the kingdom of God, even little birds in the kingdom of God find their home near the altars of God. That's where your home is. That's where your home is. So I've got a few questions as we close. These are important questions. Uh, you'll talk about them in your community groups, but you may need some time to meditate on them um, and go on a walk. What are the longings in you that need to die today? And hey, I want to caveat this. Like some longings are not bad longings, but if you think that, they're gonna, that you're going to find your fulfillment in them, they become bad longings, okay? They're longings that we can obsess about and can actually take us away from God. So some of them we just submit to him. We just say, hey, God, I actually just trust you. This is not a, a bad longing, but if you don't want this for me, I will trust you. What longings in you need to die today? And then, hey, this is a really practical question. What do you need to do to set your heart on the highway to Zion? How do you need to change the way that your days start or end or your med- what you meditate on? What, what do you need to change so your feet are planted on the highway to Zion? Also, um, some of us, some of us are, we're just in the valley. You're in the valley of suffering, and I want you to know that God loves you. He sees you. He even placed it in this psalm. You're here today because he wants to meet you right there. We want to pray with you. We probably know people in our community that have walked through what you've walked through, and they'd love to walk with you. We would love to pray with you if you're in the valley today. And if you're in a season of life where you're just doubting whether or not this is worth it, I want to encourage you. Uh, to meditate on the kingdom of God and preach to yourself that it's better. One day in the courts of God are better than a thousand elsewhere. And lastly, um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, man, I'm so glad that you're here. I have literally thought about you from the second that I started thinking about this sermon. I've thought about you and I've thought about all of my friends who don't trust in Jesus. And I just want to say like, I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want, there are so many different paths that you can run down and when you get to the end of them, you're gonna find that they just left you dark and lonely. That's it. You can trust in Jesus today. There's nothing that you've done that could make God not receive you because of Jesus. So you can give, give your life to him today. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we, we just come to you. Um, there are, are so many distractions in this life. There are so many things that shine and shimmer and look so good, but God, we know that you have the words of life. You have the path to life. You are the only one that we can trust. And so God, on behalf of our whole church, God, I just offer up our rogue longings. Some that need to be submitted to you and some that need to die. God, we just ask that you would crush them. God, I pray that we would be a church that would lift every aspect of our lives up to you and say, God, your will be done, not mine. I pray that today that people would get on a highway interchange with every area of their life, whether it be a vice or whether it just be their career, the place they're gonna live, their their community, their calling. Jesus, would we be a church that just trusts you with every area of our life, God? And I pray for everyone here who's in the Valley of Baca. I pray that you would meet them. 
I pray that you would meet them and they would get to experience the waters, uh, the living waters that you give, Jesus. And, and we, just, we just know that we say blessed is the one who trusts in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.